Freedom Man, that's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. All right. That's absolutely correct. Freedom is what it's all about. Welcome, everyone. It's April 6th, 2010. This is What on Earth is Happening, and I'm your host, Mark Passio. So uh, I want to do a few things before we get into the uh, topics uh, of discussion for this evening. The first thing I want to do is give out the websites. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. And the network's website is revolutionbroadcasting.com. The show is live Tuesday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on my site, whatonearthishappening.com. And you can listen in on Revolution Broadcasting from 8 to 9 on Tuesday evening and from 8 to 9 on Thursday, they pick up the second hour. There was a little bit of confusion on the part of some people as to how the show was uh, broadcasted on Revolution Broadcasting Network last week, so I hope that clarifies it for people. You can listen to all, can listen to all two hours live right on my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Um, I want to give out the call-in number for tonight. Hopefully, we'll get some calls. This evening, the call-in number is 347-884-9417. You can call that anytime, but please, if you call that, stay on the line. I will try to get to the calls uh, through the switchboard. Had a little bit of uh, trouble doing that last week, but uh, hopefully uh, the technical problems have been worked out, and uh, that won't be a problem this evening. The number again, 347 884 one seven. So, let's get right into. Uh, I, I want to also uh, make a couple of announcements. That's how I'm going to start this evening. I want to tell you about a couple of events that are going to be coming up in the Philadelphia area. If you're in the Philadelphia area, these are a couple of very important events, and um, uh, I hope everybody will try to. Um, Try to make it out to these. 
first one, there's a free documentary showing at the Ethical Society building. That's at 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. That's going to be Monday night, April 19th. That's Monday, April 19th, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Ethical Society building. It's a free documentary showing, a free documentary showing Free documentary showing of Aaron Russo's America Freedom to Fascism. Ethical Society Building, Monday night, April 19, 2010, 7 p.m. This event is hosted by Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. Now, a lot of people in the Philly area who are involved in the, in the freedom movement, they will uh, be... So let's try to get as many people out as we possibly can uh, to this event. I want to read a description of the movie. This documentary is about an honest search for the truth about the Federal Reserve Bank and the legality of the internal revenue system. Through extensive interviews with recognized experts and authority, the director shows an astonishing revelation of how the federal government and the bankers have fooled the American public by taking their wages and putting it in the pockets of the super rich. The director goes so far as to interview one of the masterminds of the IRS code, and you, the viewer, can draw your own conclusions as to how the system works. This is not a documentary filled with opinions, conjecture, or editorial comment. It's a documentary with a purpose, and that's to educate every wage earner about the Federal Reserve Bank, the IRS, how they got started, and where the money goes. It's extremely well done. It will make you laugh. It will make you angry. But most of all, it will inspire you to take action. So again, this event is hosted by Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, Monday night, April 19th, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Ethical Society Building, 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. Let everybody you know know about it and bring as many people out as you can. For more info, you can check out truthfreedomprosperity.org. That's truthfreedomprosperity.org. So the next thing I want to go to is another upcoming event in the Philadelphia area, and that is an extremely important event. This is the official End the Fed Rally uh, in Philadelphia. This is going to take place on April 24th, April 24th at 10 o'clock a.m. to 3 p.m., and it's going to happen right at City Hall in Philadelphia on the west side, 1500 Market Street. So I want to read a brief introduction that I sent out through my mailing list earlier this week about this event. And the Fed Philadelphia March Rally and Concert, Philadelphia, PA, April 24th, 2010, 10 o'clock a.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. City Hall, west side, 1500 Market Street, Philadelphia, PA. 
If you still don't understand how intricately related the Federal Reserve System is to the destruction of our natural freedoms, then you haven't really learned a thing. Or you've chosen to deliberately ignore it out of apathy, laziness, cowardice, or all three. Words are not enough. If you value your freedom and the freedom of future generations of humanity, take action and stand with us in courage at this event and become involved with this cause today. And the Fed is one of the most important things that is taking place in the freedom movement today. So get involved, research the Federal Reserve System. You can uh, check out the website endthefed.us. And again, this event is uh, it's going to have... Um, uh, an outdoor rally with food and entertainment. There's going to be speakers. There's going to be musicians. Michael Badnarik is actually going to be coming out and speaking. He's always great to hear. Jordan Page will be playing his great uh, brand of freedom-inspired music. So it should be a really good time. Um, ho hopefully we'll see a lot of people there. We really want to want to grow the End the Fed events and uh, bring more attention to the general public that's largely still unaware of how the immoral fractional reserve banking debt system works in this country. So if you're in the Philadelphia area, please make sure to come out to these events and spread the information to all interested parties. Okay, so those are the event announcements. I'll give the call-in number one more time, 347-884-9417. So what I'll do now is just go into a very brief uh, review of what I covered la on last week's show, and then we'll get into the topics for this evening. So last week, we really began by getting into what is truth. We got into talking about how the, the quality of our lives is basically dictated by how much we harmonize with what actually is, with looking at what actually is and dealing with it effectively, coming into harmony with truth. The quality of our life will improve if we do that. If we do not do that and we sway away off the path of truth, the quality of our life decreases and we experience more and more suffering. This is simply how natural law works. We, we talked about problem solving, how if we're really to solve any given problem, we have to have enough information about the nature of the problem, about what the causal factors are of the problem that we're experiencing. If we don't have accurate and enough information about what caused the problems, we're going to be essentially powerless to solve those problems. So we have to look at the darkness, so to speak. We have to look at uh, the the, the, the so-called negative information of what is actually causing and creating the problems that we experience around us. We have to turn and confront those things and get down to the nature of the causal factors of the problem that we're experiencing if we ever hope to solve them. We, we also talked about that there's really only two reasons that people suffer. Uh, they suffer because they accept information which simply is not true and they refuse to accept information which is true. So our ability to tell truth from falsehood is the most critical capability that the human race possesses in regards to what we experience and the quality of our existence. 
We also talked a little bit about the fundamental axioms, A-X-I-O-M, an axiom, the fundamental axioms that people hold in their lives that they refuse to let go of. They, they, they cling to them. An axiom is a, a, a proposition or a belief that is regarded generally as already being established, accepted, and self-evidently true. It's just people just take it as, you know, it just is this way. And unfortunately, most people's fundamental axioms simply are way off basis from the true nature of reality and the true experience as it is actually taking place on this planet. Um, we also got into how important knowledge of self is. We need to understand that we are a reflection of the all. We are a reflection of the whole, of the universe itself. Accurate knowledge of self is accurate knowledge of the universe. We are a holographic, integral part of creation. And getting out of the mess that we're in as a species involves knowing oneself, understanding human consciousness, understanding how consciousness manifests itself, understanding how consciousness can come into balance and harmony, and also understanding how consciousness can become imbalanced and manipulated. So as a, as a large part, an initial part of doing that, what I began to get into last week was the, the breakdown of the human brain. Understanding the human brain is a big part of understanding human consciousness. So we will finish up with that this week. I'll, I'll be going more into the components of the brain, and specifically I will be talking about how the brain, uh, what happens when the brain becomes imbalanced. So an, another concept we touched on and really spent some time on last week was a concept that I call the biggest lie. And that is the ideology known as solipsism. That's spelled S-O-L-I-P-S-I-S-M. S-O-L-I-P-S-I-S-M. Solipsism. This is the ideology that there is no such thing as truth. That truth cannot be known and it cannot be communicated to others. And this is the biggest lie. And what I'm going to, after I go into some uh, of the aspects of the brain and how the brain works and how it becomes imbalanced, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to revisit the topic of solipsism and then maybe open up some discussion on this. Because I want people to understand the, the ideology that this dangerous, uh, the most dangerous philosophy on earth, what I call the biggest lie, solipsism, leads to. The other ideologies, that if you buy this lie, if you buy into this big lie, the other ideologies that it invariably leads to. So we'll get into that tonight. But uh, I see we have a caller, and I'm going to attempt to take this call. Let's see how this goes. Uh, here we go. Caller number one, you are live on What on Earth is Happening. Hello, are you there? Hi, yeah. Uh, did Mark pass you? Yes, how, how are you? Mark, I've been waiting longer than I wait for the whole Rush Limbaugh show to comment on your show here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, man, I called Rush Limbaugh against me faster than you came my call here. Hmm. Do you have anything to say? Uh, Mark, how's it going, buddy? Hey, how are you? 
with, hey, you can't get a prank call from a fellow host now, can you? <laughs> Bob? Well, whoever that was, are they still there? No, hung up. Well, well, if anybody wants to call and seriously discuss some of these is issues, give me a call at 347-884-9417. So I'm going to get into, I'm going to go back into the human brain and talk about the structures within the brain and how the brain becomes imbalanced if we engage in certain modalities of consciousness. So, as we brought up last week, human brain essentially has three components. These are the reptile brain, the mammal brain, and the human brain. The reptile brain is otherwise known as the R complex. This is the brain stem. It's, it's responsible for motor skills. It's responsible for our instinct for survival. And it's responsible for what's called the fight or flight response. Making a decision when confronted with a survival situation whether you want to fight or run away. This is the stress mode of the brain, the stress complex of the brain, okay? Above that, we had the mammal brain, which is responsible for us being able to experience emotions in the body. This is also called the limbic brain. That's L-I-M-B-I-C, the limbic system. So without the limbic system, a human being would not be able to experience emotion. And then there's the part of the brain that truly makes us human, and that's the human brain or the neocortex. It's responsible for higher order thought functions, higher order thinking, conceptual thinking, being able to conceptualize ideas, think at a higher level, basically experience uh, reason, compassion, logic, creativity, language, science, art, music, all of the things that essentially separate us from the animal kingdom and make us truly human. That's the human brain. So, we study the neocortex further and we discover that it basically has two halves, two hemispheres. It has a left hemisphere and it has a right hemisphere. It's bilaterally symmetrical meaning if you break it right down the middle in half, it looks the same on both sides. But there's a left side and a right side. And the left side has certain functions and qualities that it makes possible in human thought and, and, and behavior. So the left brain functions, they function like the male component of the brain. Okay? This is the male side of consciousness. The left brain is logic, science, language, analytical thought. That's essentially what the left brain governs. So it, it deals with everything that is rooted in the physical world. Look at it like that. This is, this is the world of matter. 
This is the world of words. This is um, language. This is dealing with everyday physical situations, tasks, okay, um, movement, uh, things in your visual field, in, in your sensory field. The left brain basically handles all of those functions and deals with all of those things. So this is the male side of the brain, and it's the side of the brain that deals largely with the physical world and physical stuff. The other hemisphere of the brain is the right brain. And this part of the brain governs holistic thought functions. It's the feminine side of the human brain. It governs the feminine, holistic, intuitive, nurturing qualities of the individual. It also governs our ability to be creative beings, to engage in art and music and dance and things like that. Anything that is creative and expressive, this is the right side of the brain. So it's the sacred feminine part of the brain. It's the counterpart to the masculine left brain. Neither one of these hemispheres should dominate the other, given a, you know, a perfect situation, given a brain that's working as it should, given a brain that is balanced. It's important that we work with and develop all of those brain functions. It isn't that one side is good, one side is bad, you know, that we should be all one way, you know, or all the other, all left brain or all right brain. The idea is to have all of those functions in our repertoire of thinking, so to speak, okay? We need to engage in all of them in balance. That's the key to a properly functioning brain and to really bringing consciousness online, so to speak, okay? Now, what I want to talk about here before we get into uh, some other topics and hopefully take some more ca some calls is I want to, I want the listenership to understand what happens if we engage in only left brain functions or only right brain functions. And what I mean by that, it's not necessarily only, but let's use the term in complete imbalance. That, that a person is largely engaged or living in, quote-unquote, the left brain functions. They don't really engage in the right brain functions. Let's take that as the first example. So we talked about that there are three complexes of the brain and what they do and what they make possible. If a person, through, through their uh, interactions with other people, through the media that they take in, through the kind of material that they look at, uh, through their general behavior with other people around them, through their general experience in the world. If they become a person that largely engages only the physical world, never the creative, the intuitive, and the spiritual side of things, the left brain completely dominates the neocortical functions of the brain. Okay? And the right brain suffers as a result of this. Now, these two parts of the brain are connected. They're not really separate. They're connected through kind of a bridge in the middle of the, of the brain, in the middle of the head. 
that goes in between the two hemispheres. This is called the corpus callosum, the corpus callosum. It sends information back and forth between the two hemispheres of the brain if the brain is working properly. If the left brain is chronically engaged in with little to no right brain activity, so again, the physical, worldly aspect, the, physical, the part of the brain that deals with all the physical, worldly stuff going on around us, okay? Things, events, matter, and just uh, pure everyday occurrences. And there is no deeper thought to anything that is holistic or creative or spiritual. Something happens to the entire neocortex. The whole neocortex starts to basically malfunction. And it starts to not act any longer in its intended role. So what I mean by that is the intended role of the neocortex, of the higher order thought center of the brain, the, the human brain as it is known, will become destabilized to a point where it will not act as the executive command center of the whole brain complex, the three complexes of the brain. So how you should look at this, or an, a, an easy way to understand this, is to just envision any company. A company has an executive officer that makes the executive command decisions about the direction that that company or business or organization is going to be going in. They're the CEO, okay? the, the, the chief executive officer. They execute, they, they make the basic decisions that execute the direction that the company is going to go in. If that CEO were suddenly to become so ill that he could not fulfill his obligations or responsibilities to the company, middle management would have to step in and take over those responsibilities. So let's look at the neocortex as this CEO of this company, and let's look at the other two brain complexes that are not as advanced, that are not as complex, that do not, that do not have the same capabilities as the neocortex, as middle management, junior management, okay? Let's look at it like that. Now, if the CEO, the neocortex, has become destabilized because it has gone into a state of left brain hemispherical imbalance, the left brain hemisphere becomes completely dominant over the right brain hemisphere. What happens is one of the other two complexes will, will start to assume executive control over the whole brain and therefore essentially over the behavior of the individual. So I'll say that again the left brain hemisphere becomes completely dominant, one of the other two complexes in the brain, since the neocortex has now become damaged, it actually has become physically damaged. Neurons don't fire in, in, the, in the proper way. Um, uh, neural uh, connections aren't made in the proper way. And 
the, the areas of the brain actually become darkened. There is no electrochemical and neural activity in certain areas of the brain that there should be chemical and electrical activity if the, the neocortex is functioning properly and making good, reasonable executive decisions. Okay? So what happens when the left brain becomes dominant is the limbic brain or the emotional brain suffers the most and it starts to shut down, not function as it should by sending the chemicals that help us to experience our emotions into the body. Therefore, the person becomes largely emotionless and not truly capable of experiencing emotion in the same way that a, that a healthy, holistically functioning uh, uh, brained person would experience and feel emotions in the body. This person then becomes governed, becomes owned by the R complex, the reptilian brain. Think about this now. Follow this through. The left brain, the part that deals with only the physical world, no consideration to the spiritual, no consideration to the intuitive, no consideration to the creative. If that dominates the person's thoughts, the emotional center of the brain, the limbic brain, suffers the most, and the reptilian lower brain, the brain stem, the R complex, the survival stress and fight or flight part of the brain takes over the entire consciousness of the individual's brain. It becomes the governing or executive controller of the brain and the person is essentially living in the reptile part of the mind. That should explain a lot to a lot of people if they're paying attention about what is actually happening in our world, if you're paying attention at all. Now, a lot of people are imbalanced to the left side of the brain. I would say more people than are not. Most people probably have th this form of brain imbalance in one form or another, to one degree or another. I want to talk about now what happens when the right side of the brain dominates. Okay, so now this is the spiritual or nurturing or feminine or intuitive side of the brain, the right brain hemisphere. If a person lives chronically in these types of thought functions and never really engages the physical reality, you know, they're constantly in a high state of mind, constantly in the spiritual. They, they're, they're never rooted. They're never grounded. Okay? They, they just, you know, don't really consider what's happening in the physical domain very important. They're always thinking of the other world. They're always thinking of the world to come. Okay? Or they're just always, you know, wanting to live for, for basic pleasure, or, you know, um, to, to not ever look at anything that is 
so-called dark or negative. You know, they don't really want to engage problems. They, they want, you know, to engage in escapism, okay? Something also happens in the whole brain complexes, in all three of the complexes. Uh, when the right side of the brain becomes chronically dominant, what we see happen is the limbic brain, it is, it is basically the exact reverse situation that I described of the situation that I described earlier when the left brain becomes dominant. When the right brain becomes dominant, the limbic brain or the emotional part of the brain basically runs haywire. The exact reverse of when the left brain becomes dominant. The emotional brain shuts down in that instance. When the right brain is dominant, a person is essentially a slave to their feelings and emotions. They can't really control that which is going on within them. They either live in fear or they become somebody who really can't discern truth because they're just, they, they'll believe whatever they're told. They become far too passive, okay? The left brain imbalance makes someone become far too aggressive. But right brain imbalance makes someone become far too passive, essentially allowing themselves to be walked on. This is because when the brain becomes imbalanced in this way, the reptile brain, okay, the R complex of the brain essentially is shut down. It's the exact reverse of the other kind of brain imbalance. So when the left brain is dominant, the limbic brain, the emotional brain shuts down, and the person becomes governed by the reptile brain, the R-complex. When the right brain hemisphere becomes dominant chronically, the exact reverse takes place. The reptile brain that governs instinct and survival, okay, that part shuts down, and the person lives in, the, the part of the brain that takes over the consciousness is the limbic system. This person basically has runaway emotional states. Okay, so let's look at, um, let's look at some of the qualities and worldviews that come into being when one of these states of consciousness uh, takes over when one of, one of these forms of brain imbalance or another occurs. Well, when a person becomes completely imbalanced chronically to the left brain hemisphere, the male part of the brain, they become a dominator. They want to control other people. They want to control other people's actions, the decisions that they make over their lives, okay? They want to, they'll often become physically aggressive toward other people, okay, if they don't get their way. So this is the master form of brain imbalance. I call this the schism of the mind, and it happens right behind people's forehead. Right behind your eyes is where this takes place.
And just about everybody out there has one form of brain imbalance or the other, toward the left or to the right, and in some cases, both. Okay? The right side of the brain, when that becomes chronically imbalanced, you get all of the slave tendencies of the brain. So a person becomes um, engaged in feelings of unworthiness when the right brain is chronically dominant and the limbic brain has taken over the consciousness. Um, a person will become self-loathing, you know, never thinking that they're good enough or worthy. Unworthiness, self-loathing. A lot of times, addictive tendencies will creep in. A person will become an addict of one form or another if their right brain is completely dominant. And they'll become basically people who are willing to follow whatever orders they're given and become a willing slave. That's essentially the consciousness mode that people in right brain um, modality will eventually go into. So one form of brain imbalance, the left brain hemispherical imbalance, creates a master type okay, or a slave driver type, a dominator. And the other form of brain imbalance essentially creates somebody who is willing to be dominated, a slave. This explains just about everything that we are experiencing in this time in human history. Just about. Okay? This, um, if we really understand this dynamic, and there are those out there who will say this is reductionism. This is too simple. It's more complex than that. Well, not really. The way the brain functions essentially determines how we behave and what we experience in the world. If we don't take care of the temple in man, the temple in you, we're going to experience negative consequences because we're not taking care of the greatest gift that has ever been gifted to our species. We're letting it fall into states of dysfunction and disarray. And when we do that, we're going to get unpleasant, uncomfortable results. We really have to understand how we work because there are a lot of other people that sure as hell understand how we work. And they're using it as a weapon, a weapon against us. And most of us are completely, completely uneducated as to how those methodologies of mind control really, really work. So I'm going to attempt to take another caller. Let's see if this is a serious one. Let's see what happens here. You're on the air. My other call was serious as well, Mark, except I, I tried to uh, jazz it up a bit in the beginning there just to see if you Hey, were Bob, how are you? How are you yeah, doing, man? Hey. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm, I'm excited about your show on revolutionbroadcasting.com. I, I uh, listened to both hours last week, 
And uh, I just wanted to check in with you and comment on uh, some of the things you were talking about. On my show on Friday, Mark, we're having a guy by the name of Rama. Do you know Rama by chance? I am not familiar with him, no. All right, he's on YouTube. He's a a YouTube celebrity. And he's basically a guy who talks about the pineal gland. And he has something that he calls pineal gland activation. Okay. And it's basically a form of meditation, if you will, in which he believes that you can become more in touch with your pineal gland. And as a part of this imbalance that you were talking about, this schism, yes, the pineal gland is a major uh, central focus uh, to this schism, I believe. Absolutely. Because and the pineal gland... The pineal some more, and I, I just wanted to, to jump in here and get your thoughts. Yes, the pineal gland is what essentially becomes awakened and active when the two hemispheres of the neocortex act in unison and balance. So that gland actually activates higher levels of awareness, but it only really comes online when we bring the male side of the brain and the female side of the brain together in balance and harmony, in unison. Neither one is dominant over the other. They work in balance. So we have firing on all cylinders, so to speak. I I, I think the elite, they're aware of this, and that's why perhaps there's so much symbolism involved with the hermaphrodite, maybe. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of symbolism. Um, Look at, if you put together the basic archetypal symbolism for male and female, yin and yang, okay? Or yang is male, yin is female. Yang is represented by an upward-pointing equilateral triangle. It's, it's, a, it's an archetypal symbol that in ancient uh, human history has generally been referred to as the blade. And the inverted equilateral triangle, okay, is an archetypal symbol that represents the sacred feminine, or the chalice, the womb, so to speak, okay? And that's called the, the, the chalice. So if you put these two together, you get the seal of Solomon. And the seal of Solomon represents the left brain hemisphere in unison with the right brain hemisphere. This is also known as the Star of David in Judaism. But an older name for it is the seal of Solomon. And right in the word Solomon, you have the sun and the moon, Soul and moan. Well, it's very interesting how the Rastafarians, Mark, they they often uh, quote King Solomon as being one of the wisest men, and they often claim that they found uh, some cannabis in his uh, grave. Sure. It's one of the uh, shamanic and uh, entheogenic substances that if used in a context of awakening higher levels of consciousness can produce that effect. It can actually help to balance the brain hemispheres. Not being used as escapism, not being used as just frivolous uh, entertainment or enjoyment or escapism, but really being used to work on oneself. Cannabis can be an ally in that respect. Well, and that's how the Rastafarians use it. They use it in a ritualistic way. A lot of people don't understand 
uh, just how the, the real Rastafarian religious teachings uh, incorporates uh, the use of uh, cannabis. And uh, now it's uh, a more sort of prevalent thing because of probably the, the social conditions. You know, when, when you're tired of dealing with the man, uh, when you get this sort of attitude of rebellion, you're going to want to kick back and escape a little bit. And that's, uh, that's almost a natural reaction that the uh, powers that be are accounting for and they are anticipating and they want you to feed into that because right. they want yeah. you to be slaves. And if they that's keep the you way domicile, they want you to... they'll keep you slaves. That's the way they want you to abuse, to, to get into a, a habit of abuse with a compound like that. See, it can be used properly to balance the brain, but at some point, if someone uses it so chronically that uh, they fall into a pattern of abuse, this will imbalance the neocortex through right brain hemisphere imbalance, which, as you just said, is basically the, uh, the modality of a slave. It's, it's, it's a... Uh, a balance that has to be walked if someone is going to start using entheogenic compounds. And I will talk about that on this show as we go forward. Again, uh, when I was on your show on, um, uh, on uh, Revolution Broadcasting a couple of weeks ago, we did get into um, entheogens in a conscious context as one of the solutions that I proposed for uh, basically elevating consciousness and getting out of the, uh, the situation that we're in collectively. Very interesting stuff. And another thing came to mind uh, when we were just talking about this, and that is the effect of fluoride uh, in dumbing people down, getting them docile, also interfering with the unification of the left and right brain. That's absolutely correct. I mean, it, it will calcify. It will create a calcium layer on the pineal gland. This is a, a known effect of uh, fluoride in, its, in all of its derivative forms that, it, that is added to over 68%, I believe the number is, 65 to 68% of the drinking water uh, reservoirs in the United States. And this is just totally unacceptable. This substance is a poison in any quantity and should not be being added to our drinking water in any way. It's just crazy. And there's no proven use of uh, swallowing it. I mean, uh, even any dentist or doctor that I've uh, had try to justify fluoride can't explain to me what use it has in swallowing it. It's a topical exactly. uh, thing that uh, should be applied directly to the teeth. Now, Mark, uh, yes. we can comment on all these things all day, but if, if I may, I, I had a, a side question that I wanted to bring to you, and then I'll let you go, and great sure. show as always, by the way. Thank you. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, sure. The, the thing is Tesla, uh, and I yes. know you're, you're a student of Tesla, so to speak. Yes. I hear uh, a lot of debate going on uh, in the world today about Tesla and the idea of free energy. And when you say free energy, a lot of people can't really wrap their heads around that. Right. Um, and I believe personally that there's going to have to be a paradigm shift where we move to a scarcity-based system of control to an abundance-based system. And the best example I can give of this is a test that Pavlov did with chickens in which he provided his chickens with an abundance of food and water so that whenever they were hungry or thirsty they would just go to the dispenser and there would be food and water always there. 
Well, he observed their behaviors, and they acted, you know, normal. They would go when they were hungry, and they would get some food or water whenever they needed. And they always knew it was going to be there. When he introduced the concept of scarcity to their food and water system there, their behaviors changed. He could get them to hoard, which became a new concept. Hoarding uh, was something they weren't doing before. He could get them to steal. uh, And when there was... Uh, time he times he could get them to fight one another or uh, even kill one another for the food. So all these Amazing. aberrant behaviors occurred as a result of controlled scarcity. Yeah, we How have manufactured feel? scarcity. I absolutely agree. I, I, I've said this a million times, and I'll say it a million more. The control of energy and resources is the control of people. And energy is one of the biggest ways that we are controlled. And oil is essentially the currency that is running the world. It's what's making everything that we base our civilization upon go. What Tesla discovered is that we don't have to have this scarcity and lack-based energy system that people always war over. Okay, because again, like you said, once they're put into a scarcity-based mindset, they go right into the reptile consciousness, right into the reptile mode of the brain. You know what the ultimate manipulation of scarcity-based mind control is? What's that? The scarcity of safety or our lives. And that's part of the fear mechanism with false flag terrorism and all these other things. If they sure. can get you to fear for your, for your, for, because you have a lack of security, scarcity right. of security, it's another mm-hmm. way to look at this. And when people that, fall for that, they will always be living in the R complex of the brain. They will always be in that fight or flight mode, the stress mode, the fear mode. Very interesting. To, to go back to Tesla and what he realized was possible, what he had proven was possible, is that we could hook energy systems right into what he called the wheelwork of nature. When we talk about free energy, specifically when I talk about free energy in relation to Tesla's technology, I'm not talking about some of the uh, more advanced um, Uh, energy extraction from the quantum vacuum or what's called zero-point energy. Now, Tesla may have experimented a bit with that, but essentially the the, the Tesla technology, free energy, quote-unquote, is what I call shared free energy, okay? This is basically taking energy reserves from places that nature naturally stores it and then bringing it to the places where we need to use it. How Tesla envisioned doing this was by taking the energy that the sun naturally bombards the earth with through the solar wind, okay, the, 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 uh, the ions that basically bombard the earth's magnetosphere, they're stored, this, this electrical energy is stored in the earth's ionosphere. Okay. And Tesla had a methodology to be able to bring this energy down to the earth. He would, he would be, tap this, this voltage potential and actually bring it down through a, 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 a transceiver 
and then it would be able to then direct uh, that energy to whole regions of the Earth. Now, I'm not talking art. about through wires. This was all wireless. You would have been able to actually plug whatever devices you needed. You could plug your home into the ground because the Earth would be acting as the store. The Earth would be acting as the, that store of energy, like a giant capacitor. He had a method to actually make the Earth into one huge capacitor by using the electrical energy stored in the, in the ionosphere. And he knew how to do this over a hundred years ago, and it was squashed by the financial interests of his time, and it was squashed by the people who began the Federal yeah. Reserve System. And uh, J.P. Morgan, of course, and uh, Rothschild, of, uh, they come to mind. Now, the question yeah. I get, though, from people that can't wrap their heads around post-scarcity uh, way of thinking is how come they wouldn't want to use this technology because if it's such a great idea and if it really worked of course they would want to do it because it would be a great business venture right i would imagine so i mean i i, I well, they don't want to level the playing board you know they don't want third world countries to be able to come up to our level of technology and the understanding that goes along with that technology because an even faster awakening would be on their hands and that's largely why they don't want it you know, it's also, I, I could relate a little anecdote. I've, I've mentioned this in some lectures I've done on Tesla in, in the uh, area. I think Tesla understood we weren't really going to acquire this capability until we came up to a higher level of consciousness. And he may have backed off himself in a lot of ways. That's talked about in the uh, Tesla community. I, I went into a... Uh, an event one day and uh, I, my, my girlfriend and I were a little early for it so we went into a bar and um, we, we sat and we uh, were just sit, sitting around I had a drink and we were getting ready to go to this concert and uh, I, I sat there and I was starting to talk to a gentleman at the bar and he seemed like he was you know so, somewhat kind of aware of some things and um, for some reason, we got onto energy. I, I don't know how it got brought up, maybe gas prices or something like that. And he started talking about that he was also aware of like some free energy technologies that have been brought up and discussed, and he had heard about Tesla. I told him about how I'm involved with a group that works with uh, Tesla technology. And um, I, I asked him, I just said, hey, you know, think about this scenario for a minute. What if we did implement free energy technology the way Tesla envisioned it? We could bring energy down from the ionosphere, send it all around the world. Everybody would have essentially free electri electrical energy that they could tap at any time, any place. I said, think about the uh, economic models that the Middle Eastern countries are based upon. Their whole economy largely is based upon their oil exports. So what do you think would happen to those nations and all of the people in them if suddenly oil became largely worthless? And you know what his answer was to that? Can you, get, can you guess what his answer might have been? Ah, uh, let's see here. No? You know what he said to me? He said, who cares? Let whatever happens to them at that point happen to them. That was his response. And you know what I said back to him? That's why we can't have this yet. Mm. That's why. Well, it's the divine. And he had no real answer to that. You know, because 
we want to think that we can essentially do things that we want and whatever consequences happen that, that create suffering for other people, that's okay. And it's not okay. You know, until we get to the level of consciousness that we understand, if other people are suffering, we are suffering ourselves. We're not going well, to have Mark, to have you know, like Who cares if uh, some uh, towel heads are, you know... Yeah. As aware as he was of, you know, the energy, so-called energy crisis and how we should be moving toward alternative energy distribution and uh, and production methods, he he bought into the whole false flag terrorism paradigm and, you know, just doesn't care what happens to, quote, unquote, those people. Let whatever happened to them happen. That was his answer. And my response was... Until we get out of that level of consciousness, we won't develop free energy technology and be able to use it uh, to benefit humanity, as we should have probably been able to do over 100 years ago. I mean, think about what would have happened if we emplaced it 100 years ago. How many things would have been circumvented that took place in the last 100 years? Sure. How many wars would have been averted? How many lives you know, would not have been snuffed out prematurely? Yeah, and how many people would would not freeze to death for that? Sure. I mean, people freeze over 40 percent. I'm sorry, over 40% of people on this planet still do not have basic electricity run into their homes. Think about that, 40%. We think the whole world is lit up with electrical energy. It is not. 40% of people living on this planet don't have electricity in their homes. Most people don't know that. That's a, that's the playing field would, yeah, the playing field would lever, level very quickly with third world nations had a technology like this been implemented. And that's why the, uh, you know, the, the occultic masters behind the banking system uh, don't really want that. And uh, they, they get people to uh, suppress this because people are willing to do just about anything they're asked for a paycheck or enough money in hand because, because they're at that reptile Latin the police. The, the, oftentimes, the police. Uh, I've spoken to them in long dialogues about you know them upholding their constitutional oath, and they'll say, "Well, if we get an order, we're not going to uh, risk losing our job and not take that order." I said, "Well, if it goes against your oath to the Constitution, then you better not take that order because you have you should have protections." And they say, "Well, we're not going to want to lose our job." Right. So they even got the people that are supposed to be fair public servants uh, brainwashed to uh, not want to lose their jobs, so they follow orders. Right. Because the morality, truth and morality, isn't as important to them as money. And that's a sad, sad state of consciousness to be in. And I'll be talking a lot about that as we go forward on the show. We're coming up right now to the uh, end of the first hour. Bob, so I am going to start the intro music, and I'm going to give the website before the websites before I do that. Do you want to hold on into the second hour? Sure, I'll, I'll hang out for a little bit. Make sure we uh, time this right here. So we're ending Revolution Broadcasting for your first hour, uh, right. which is heard uh, Tuesdays from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock East Coast time. And then we, we end that about, let's see here, what do we end at? Nine, uh, two, two, two minutes past uh, nine, Mark, is when you can drop right. that.
And then, sure. then we'll start the, the intro music, and we'll jump right web, into your next web, And I'll, website, I'll be here. Web, the website is whatonearthishappening.com. Listen every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, revolutionbroadcasting.com. Here we go with our number two. Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. On freedom, like the good book says. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark. All right, this is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. This show is uh, broadcast live on Tuesday evenings, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. RevolutionBroadcasting.com splits it up over two hours, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday and Thursday night. So um, what we've been doing in the first hour is uh, kind of reviewing some topics, and um, we uh, talked about the human brain a lot in this uh, segment and how the brain becomes imbalanced toward uh, one uh, brain hemisphere or another and what that basically um, what that basically creates um, in our experience. Um, we also discussed um, what happens when we diverge from an understanding of what actually is taking place in the world. When we refuse to acknowledge and um, admit truth into our lives, how the human experience becomes degraded when that happens. And when we come into harmony with truth, and when we accept it and basically live according to the principles of natural law, the human experience essentially flowers, opens up, and really becomes uh, 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 something that is really worth participating in and of a much higher quality than if we exist at lower levels of consciousness. So I started taking some calls in the first hour, um, largely uh, related to the human brain. And uh, Bob Tuscan from uh, theylie.com uh, called in, and um, we were talking about the pineal gland a little bit, and we got into uh, uh, scarcity and how that affects the consciousness, 
uh, artificially induced scarcity, particularly when it comes to energy. We talked a little bit about uh, Tesla and uh, free energy technologies that have been suppressed. And uh, Bob uh, decided to hang on the line with me and uh, go a little bit more into some of this in hour number two. I'm glad that he did. So, uh, Bob, are you still on the line with us? I sure am, Mark. Thanks again for having me on as a caller. No problem. So, um, essentially, we were talking about scarcity and how that affects um, how that affects the consciousness of people that are subjected to it. The types of uh, behaviors that they become engaged in, how they become fearful of not having, of lack, and uh, how that roots them into the lower base brain consciousness, the R complex of the human brain. And uh, we left off the, the, the previous hour talking about, uh, in particular, uh, and this is a topic I could go on and on about, <laughs> and uh, I will uh, as this show progresses. Um, but uh, we, were, we, we had started to mention police and the mentality that many of them have that uh, as long as their paycheck is present and as long as that's not threatened, they will follow whatever orders they are given and continue to do things that really they don't have the right to do, like usurp other people's constitutionally protected and I might add God-given rights and freedoms. And uh, as long as a paycheck is flowing into them, that the morality of those issues simply do not matter to many of them. The old uh, idea, I was just following orders. Do you have any more that you'd like to add to that and, or say about that, Bob? Well, you know, that, that just doesn't cut it, and we've seen that after the, the Nuremberg trials. But the Nuremberg trials did not represent uh, what was going on with Operation Paperclip. You see, while we were publicly... Uh, making an example, we, it's, it's a, the old sleight of hand trick. It's, you know, look here, why really we're just uh, underground promoting the same sinister sort of things. And uh, I really strongly believe that uh, to take orders or to justify something because of taking orders is probably one of the scariest things uh, that we can ever deal with. And what comes to mind is the uh, what is it the oh it's slipping from my head the um, the Milgram experiment? Okay. Are you familiar with the Milgram experiment? No. Okay, this is going to blow your mind. All right. So they took two people. All right, and they they told these people that they were going to be involved in a scientific experiment, and one of the pr people was to be the question asker. And the other person was to be the, the person uh, receiving the questions, okay? Right. So the, the one person goes, uh, they, they randomly choose whoever's the, the asker and who's the answer, okay? And once they do that, they put whoever's answering the questions in one room and whoever's asking the questions in another. Now, they tell the person uh, in who's receiving uh, the, who's giving the test, rather, that the other person is hooked up to an electric shock. So whenever they're answering a question incorrect, they are to shock that other person and increase the voltage of the shock as that person got more and more incorrect answers. And I, ha I, have heard, I have heard of this experiment. I was not familiar with the name of it, but I have heard of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's pretty famous. I, I, I figured you would have been. Um, so 
let me just uh, uh, finish it and I'll get your take because I think it's very telling to what we were just talking about here. Sure. Uh, basically, sure. what happens is every time the person, uh, you know, raise, raises the voltage, they hear the other person in the other room connected, obviously, because it's connected to an intercom, uh, oh, either make the scream or increasingly be in more and more pain. Yes. And even yeah. though they're uh, about to, according to what, what's in front of them, shock these people uh, to unbelievably uh, toxic uh, levels of uh, electricity, they continue to administer the experiment simply because they're told by the person in the lab coat that if they stop, it will compromise to keep going, but, but, but they don't, even though they hear the person screaming and, and, and death and pain and, and eventually stop screaming, they keep going. And do you know how many people went all the way until the end? I would say almost all of them. I would say, I, I guess over 90%. That's shockingly the, the, true, Mark. And they did this experiment originally, I think 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and it was it was only like 85%, and they did it more recently, and folks, we're no better off than we were then. We're worse off. More people wow. nowadays were more likely to take the orders, and even though uh, they thought, and you should see the videos on YouTube. Just look up the Milgram experiment. They have videos of people. You know, the, the, some people are freaking out. I mean, it, this is one of the most moving things that I've seen in a long time, and it just goes to show you how much people are victims to this sure. authority-based mind control. Is this uh, M-I-L-G-R-A-M, Milgram? Milgram, I believe that's correct. Okay. Uh, what, what this really gets down to is personal responsibility. People want to claim that someone else is ultimately responsible for their own behaviors. And this just isn't true. You are responsible for what you do. No one else is. So in these experiments that you're describing, all of these people abdicated their personal responsibility to another authority figure. And since he's claiming that, I, oh, I'm responsible for this experiment, I'll tell you what you can and can't do, they just kept going along, going along with it even though they know, they heard and knew that they're causing suffering for other people. It's, it's, it's the height, the epitome of irresponsibility, and it illustrates perfectly why we're in the mess that we're in, perfectly. So thank you for bringing it up. It's a great example. And uh, that, that's really one thing that we're going to stress over and over and over again on this show is Total freedom, total freedom means nothing else than total responsibility. And if we're not willing to take total responsibility for the actions that we take in this world, in our own lives, we're never going to have freedom. It's a powerful note, and I'll leave you on that note. Uh, again, Mark, I appreciate what on earth is happening. And uh, definitely have been uh, going to the website, whatonearthishappening.com. And I just watched uh, a little bit more of your uh, four-part uh, video series. Uh, again, I want to give a shout-out to that. I'm really glad you enjoyed that. And um, 
I want to thank you personally for all the help that uh, you've given in getting me started on the network, and uh, thanks for calling in with some great insights, man. Hey, I, I tried. I, I, I hope you weren't pissed off at first that I called in the first hour as a redneck who uh, calls up Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> but uh, I, wanted, I wanted to give you an authentic taste of uh, what it felt like to be a, a radio host uh, speaking the truth. Not a problem, Bob. Take care, Mark. <laughs> you take care, man. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Bob Tuscan of, of theylie.com and Truth Be Told Radio. Uh, definitely uh, stay tuned and listen to his show. He's on every uh, weeknight between uh, 10 and, and midnight on revolutionbroadcasting.com. Again, my website is whatonearthishappening.com. And um, just going to reiterate uh, some announcements that uh, I went through in, in uh, our number one of this show because I think it's really critical to get people uh, actively involved and mobilized in the truth and freedom movement, uh, particularly in the Philadelphia area. I mean, this is, uh, this is the home of, of freedom in this country uh, where a lot of the founding fathers uh, met and uh, discussed ideas and uh, really laid the groundwork for, uh, for freedom in this country that we've fallen so tragically uh, off the mark from in the modern world. But we still have a chance to get, to get back on, on track, and uh, we're only really going to do that if we uh, come together as a community and really embody the, the principles of truth, of natural law, and, uh, and of love, because that's what this is ultimately all about, Freedom is based in the dynamic energy of love. And uh, bringing this information, bringing uncomfortable information to people's ears is not done to, uh, to really upset people. It is done because the people who are bringing this information to people genuinely care about the well-being of their fellow man. And uh, that, that's what love really is. And unless we propagate that, we're not going to have true freedom. So... Let me tell you about two upcoming events. They're both hosted by the, the great group Truth, Freedom, Prosperity in the Philadelphia area. Their website is truthfreedomprosperity.org. Okay, the first one is a, a free documentary showing, totally free documentary showing of, what, of um, America, freedom to fascism. The, the great film by the late, great Aaron Russo. And I know a lot of the listenership on this network in particular, or maybe through my website, have seen this film. They know what it's about. They, they know how powerful this, this film is, this documentary. But uh, there's a lot of people who still have not uh, heard or seen the information that is presented in this film. And we really want to try to get a lot of people to come out uh, invite friends, invite family members, and come out to see this documentary. Um, it's going to be held Monday evening, April 19th at 7 o'clock p.m. sharp at the Ethical Society Building, 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. Okay? America, Freedom to Fascism, free documentary screening, Monday, April 19th. 7 o'clock p.m. 
Ethical Society Building, 1906 South Rittenhouse Square, Philadelphia. The next event that I want to uh, uh, bring up and announce is the official End the Fed March and Rally in Philadelphia. This is the official End the Fed March and Rally in Philadelphia. This is going to be held Saturday, April 24th, 10 o'clock a.m. at City Hall, Philadelphia City Hall, on the west side of the building. That's where the, the, the gathering will, will initiate. 1500 Market Street. And uh, there's going to be uh, a march down to the Federal Reserve Building. There is going to be, following that, an outdoor rally with food and entertainment. And um, there's going to be speakers, and uh, there's going to be a concert. So Michael Badnarik will be speaking at the event, and Jordan Page is going to be uh, playing his great brand of, uh, of freedom-inspired music. So come out. Please stand with us in courage and end this immoral, monstrous institution known as the Federal Reserve System. Uh, we really need people to not show fear, okay? That's what, that's what these people feed on. They want you to be afraid of them. You need to look at them in the eye and tell them you're not afraid of them. And I'm talking about, let's face it, the, the, the very institution that was behind the exploding of a president of the United States head in full daylight view in front of the general population. Let's make no mistake about that. We know that Kennedy, through his beginning, setting the process in motion to print interest-free money in this country, that that's the reason, the main reason that he was taken out. And the Fed definitely had a hand in that. I'll say it. And um, uh, nonetheless, we need to stand together in solidarity if we're ever going to make any real change happen. So words aren't enough. That's, that's the message I sent out through my mailing list this week regarding this event. You can't just say you don't want something that you know is immoral in the world. You have to take action and actually get involved, educate other people, bring information, educate other people, understand the Fed yourself, and then educate other people about it. So please come out to this event, April 24th, 10 a.m., City Hall, Philadelphia. So with that, I think um, that's all for the announcements. Uh, I see we have another caller. I'm going to take this call. Let's see. Caller, are you there? Yes, Mark. It's Kevin, actually. I think you know hey, me hi. from a germ bookstore. Kevin, how are uh, you, man? Good. Um, I just wanted to say, in addition to the conversation that you gentlemen were just speaking of when it came to specifically abundance and scarcity, um, I just kind of wanted to interject a, a, an Aristotle quote that I've come across recently, and that's, uh, poverty is the parent of revolution and crime. So uh, these things have been, it seems like it's everything's been like happening before and it's all happening again. Happening again. Very profound. Yeah, people take uh, desperate actions when t when faced with desperate measures and scarcity because again, they go their consciousness goes right downward into the art complex of the brain, 
And you can't really make uh, good um, executive decisions. You can't make good reasonable decisions, decisions based on reason, when the reptile brain governs the actions of the individual. And, and there's a physiological basis to that. Uh, it's, it's very interesting when you get into how the brain-body complex works together. When you drop into the R complex of the brain, the fight-flight response, okay, all the blood leaves, not all of it, but the, the blood flow generally leaves the torso and the head, and it goes to the extremities. I touched on this last week because you need to make a decision about whether you want to stand and fight or flee. So the, the, all the hardness and all the energy is needed in the muscles, in the arms, and in the legs, the extremities. So you don't have richly oxygenated blood flowing in the torso, so you're more prone to physical diseases in the internal organs, and you don't have blood flowing in the head uh, to, to the degree that you normally do, so you really aren't using the brain in the capacity that it's intended for, and you can't really think. You're in total fear mode. And that is what scarcity, artificial, manufactured scarcity does to the human consciousness. And make no mistake, that's one of the biggest uh, methodologies that they're using to control people. It, it sure seems so, yeah. Uh, money almost seems to be like a scourge. Uh, I, they live seems to be like the perfect analogy to exactly what's going on. It's just that the, the true horror of that film is when you like leave the theater and you look around at the world around you and you see that like we're all kind of doing it to ourselves. It's also reminiscent of idiocracy. Sure. Two great films. Uh, I, in particular, They Live. That is probably my favorite science fiction film that has ever been released. But it's not really science fiction. It, it, is, it is allegorical fiction. It's a yeah, fiction they, that really tells a tale about what's taking place around us in the real world. My wife always had a quote about how um, films are a reflection of the fears of the society at large, particularly horror films. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, art often imitates life, not necessarily exactly. the other way around. Yeah. So... Um, uh, I, you know, it's been brought to my attention that sometimes I'll use a word and uh, some people may not be clear on the word. So I, I want to try to watch that and check myself on that just so I'm not using terms that, um, that uh, you know, people may not understand and then I just go, go over it or bring it up again and I'm uh, still saying something that they don't really get. So I want to just go back to the word I just used, allegory. Um, a lot of people may not know what an allegory is, maybe many will, but what an allegory is, and this is spelled A-L-L-E-G-O-R-Y, okay? An allegory is a story that can be interpreted to reveal some type of hidden meaning, which is typically a moral lesson. A, a hidden meaning, and it typically contains a moral lesson, or it could be a political lesson. So this is this is something that uh, is similar to like a parable. It's a it's a fictional tale, but it's really telling us something about events that are really playing out in the real world around us, and it contains 
you know, moral information in the tale. So it's structured to teach a lesson. That's what an allegory is. And I'll be using that word a lot, and I'll recommend some allegorical uh, films and movies to people to, that, that touch on the concepts that I talk about through uh, uh, tremendous creative expression of these ideas. And uh, it's a great way, I feel, to, to get these ideas across to people because when it's done in a creative way, people go into the receptive mode of thinking. In the, in the right side of the brain, the intuitive brain. And uh, art and creativity is a big part of that. So allegories are powerful ways to get uh, messages uh, into people's consciousness. And uh, They Live is certainly one of them. And I think one of the, the, the best modern allegories that I've seen in recent times was Avatar. Um, Avatar was certainly a spiritual allegory, and it was about, you know, the, the horror of warfare and how it's often completely immoral and d done for reasons that can't really be justified. And uh, I, I think, um, you know... The destruction of indigenous lands and the indigenous peoples as well. And how the, the basic plight of indigenous peoples everywhere against uh, companies that are constantly out to uh, gain more land. Yeah, that's abs and resources. That's abs exactly. Correct. Yeah, and uh, it's very telling that uh, most U.S. military bases didn't want that film shown anywhere on on their grounds, because they understand the power of allegory for reaching the human mind and for specifically for reaching the human conscience. And uh, they don't want soldiers understanding that message. They don't want it seeping into their consciousness because they want to keep them right where they have them in a total state of mind control. Yeah, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean the Matrix doesn't already have you. Right. <laughs> on that note, thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I want to get back to I, listening to you. <laughs> I really thank you for calling in, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Kevin. Thank you. Take care, man. Okay. So, let's see, what can we go into next? Uh, made the announcements about uh, freedom to fascism and, and the Fed. Um, we talked about the human brain. Uh, when, um, when Bob Tuscan called in, he talked about the pineal gland. So, let's get into that a little bit because this is uh, intricately related to structures in the brain and this is really related to brain balance. So. In the last hour, we talked about brain imbalance, okay? Let's talk about um, what happens when the brain hemispheres are balanced, okay? So, when you bring the left and right brain hemispheres into conjunction, into unison, into harmony, one brain hemisphere is not dominant over the other. You have a balanced brain. The human neocortex, the higher order thought center of the human brain, acts in its proper role as the executive command center, the executive um, uh, functions of the whole brain complex. Okay? That is as it is intended to be. That is a healthy 
functional, fully functional human brain. The person isn't governed by an out-of-control emotional state, nor are they governed by total fight-flight response and stress mode and the desire to control other people. So when the brain is balanced, a person is neither a master nor a slave, not a master of others, nor a slave of others. They are a master of themselves. They have achieved a state that I call dominion. This is self-ownership, self-governance, self-rulership. In other words, that being isn't divided anymore amongst themselves. As they think, so they feel, and so they act in unison. The three modalities of consciousness, thought, emotion, and action, come into harmony with each other. And the third eye, or what has been called the one eye, the all-seeing eye, the human pineal gland, which is exactly in the center of the head. It's inside what's called the middle chamber, which is the limbic brain. The limbic brain has a lot of different components in it. The emotional part of the brain that, that generates the chemicals that help us to feel the emotions that we experience in the body. You have the hypothalamus is in the limbic brain. You have the hippocampus. You have the amygdala, you have the pituitary gland, and you have the pineal gland. So this is like a, a cone-shaped gland directly in the center of the head. If you look at a person straight on, right at their face, it would be a little bit above the eyes, right in the middle of the head. So right in between the forehead, in between the eyes, on the forehead, and then Go backwards and locate the approximate center of the skull. And right there you would find the human pineal gland, named because it is shaped like a pine cone, pineal gland. Okay? This gland becomes active and essentially awakens a human being to higher states of awareness about what is actually taking place within and around them. So they become able to discern, to have true discernment when this state of consciousness opens up. And this is done by balancing the brain hemispheres. So we will get into the techniques, different techniques, to make this state of consciousness occur. And I have a whole series of solutions that helps balance the, the human brain and the human consciousness and bring, it, bring them into unison. So I want to talk about some symbology associated with this state. I touched on it a little bit last hour. There's a couple of symbols that have been associated with different modes of consciousness for thousands of years. One of them is the male aspect of being, okay? The male side of the consciousness, what's called the yang energy. And the, the general symbol that this form of consciousness uh, was uh, 
the, the symbol that was used to describe this modality of consciousness was called the blade. This is an upward-pointing triangle. It's a rudimentary phallic symbol representing the male phallic organ. Okay? This is associated with action, with anything that goes outside of oneself and interacts with the world around oneself. It is the active male component. And the reason that it's associated with a phallic symbol is because that is the thrust force. That is the force through which we project outward to others around us, our actions in the world. Okay? This is associated, the symbol is associated with the left-brained hemisphere. Okay? An upward-pointing triangle. The reversal of that symbol of this archetypal, okay? This means just a general form is what archetypal means. It's rooted deep in the subconscious. It is just something that we intuitively recognize and are aware of at very deep subconscious levels. So it's an archetypal symbol, okay? The inverted triangle the, the top, the point is pointing downward, okay? So this is a rudimentary womb symbol, okay? It is shaped like the feminine womb. This inverted triangle is known as the chalice in different ancient uh, symbolic systems. This is the sacred feminine energy. This deals with emotional states. It deals with the right brain hemisphere. Okay? This is the part of the, 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 part of the consciousness that is, um, looks, at, looks inward. Okay? This is the internal aspect of consciousness. So it is largely dealing with our emotional states. And when we bring these two together, we have a very um, recognized symbol in different cultures. And it's been used throughout the world to describe the state of consciousness when one has a balanced brain. Now, that's not always the way it's used, but in general, that is the archetypal symbol known as the Seal of Solomon. And it is the interlocked, not one on top of the other, not, you know, both of them completely intersecting, the interlocked blade and chalice. This state of consciousness is often called the chemical wedding because the chemical and electrical activity of the human brain is functioning in wholeness, in oneness in harmony and it's called the seal of solomon because the male side of the brain is representative of the active solar yang energies okay the action is 
associated with the sun and daytime. So the word for the sun is soul, solar energy. Soul, S-O-L. And then we have the lunar form of consciousness, the feminine, the sacred feminine consciousness. This is the moon energy, the right brain. So when they come together, it's the chemical wedding. It's the state of a balanced brain and the beginning of the awakening of the pineal gland or the all-seeing eye. We'll talk a lot more about that symbolism as we go forward. And that's the seal of Solomon, the six-pointed blazing star, as it is known. And um, that is the symbol to represent that state of consciousness that I think we need to ascribe to. We need to make that our goal if we're really going to come out of, uh, again, the problems that we're facing as a species. We really need to work on ourselves, work on, again, what um, different mystic traditions have called the temple inside mankind. Okay? And that's the human brain. I can't stress it enough. It is really the underlying um, focus, the underlying causal factor of what generates our experience in the world. And this is not reductionist thinking or reductionist philosophy. It can't be overstated. It can't be over-calculated. Um, uh, how important the brain is to what we experience. Yet, you see people doing all kinds of crazy, destructive behaviors to the brain through substance abuse, through uh, uh, engaging in activities that will damage the brain irreparably, <laughs> riding a, a motorcycle without a helmet. You know, how, how about cage fighting? you know, or even boxing. Not much respect for the temple in man. Individuals like that don't have. Uh, to, to, to desecrate a gift like that uh, for, whatever, for whatever justification or money or paycheck you might be getting, I, I just can't, I can't personally see it. The brain is too precious to me. I understand what it makes capable. I understand what the brain generates, the experience that it generates in the so-called external world that we experience. You know, it's all a reflection of what's going on inside us. It really is. So I think I'll leave the exploration of the brain there for now, unless there are any other callers that want to call in and talk about it further. Uh, let me give the call-in number one more time, the call-in number for the show. Anybody's free to call and discuss any of these ideas. The call-in number is 347-884-9417. So we had a couple of callers uh, over the, uh, the, uh, the last couple of hours. Anybody else wants to call in? 347-884-9417. And our topics, we're generally, you know, going to try to, uh, unpack and, and uh, break down a little bit more our, what we're talking about tonight, the human brain, how the brain becomes imbalanced or balanced, 
Okay, but largely we talked about how it, it becomes imbalanced and the kind of consciousness that that leads to. Uh, we can get into the symbolism that I talked about a little bit, if you want. And uh, we're, um, what I'm also going to start breaking down and, and really getting into now is uh, what I call the big lie. And I talked about this last week, and I'm going to uh, break down this concept even further this week. And that's the ideology known as solipsism. So I'm going to spell that again for people that want to look into it and research it a little bit. And um, again, I can't overestimate how dangerous this ideology is. This is the ideology that leads to all the other dangerous and destructive worldviews that people hold in the world that lead to more and more human suffering. Solipsism. S-O-L-I-P-S-I-S-M. Something that maybe perhaps not many people have heard of, but if you listen to this show, you are going to hear about solipsism because this is what I call the biggest lie. This is the lie that if you buy into, essentially, the spiritual journey comes to a halt. It really does. Because the spiritual journey is about seeking truth. That's what it really is ultimately about. And if you buy into the notion that there is no such thing as objective truth, which is what solipsism claims, this is the, uh, the notion that perception is reality. That solipsism. Perception dictates reality. So whatever, however I perceive it, that's what the truth is. The truth isn't something that I discover. It's something I basically make up based on my personal preferences, what I'm comfortable with, and the information I have at any given moment. And this is the ideology called solipsism, that nothing really exists independently of um, the, the individual who is observing anything. Okay? There's no external reality. There's no external truth. Um, whatever I decide is the truth, essentially that's what I'm going to, uh, how I'm going to live my life according, what I'm going to live my life according to. What I describe this as is someone attempting to become their own personal arbiter of truth. The arbiter of truth. That's what the solipsist is. The person who subscribes to the notion that there is no such thing as objective truth. That nothing can be known in and of itself. That only perception governs reality. This is the most dangerous ideology that exists on earth. And talk to people. More people believe in and subscribe to this ideology than you would ever believe or imagine. This ideology is out there. This ideology is totally lived by towards so many people, through so many people that 
you would be shocked and appalled if you understood how many people really subscribe to this. Okay? And if you're a subscriber to that ideology, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, there's no point in you even bothering listening to this show. You might as well turn it off now. I could teach you nothing until you come out of that state of mind. If you don't believe that there is actual events that take place and they can be known, and that's called the truth of what, we, of what happens on this planet, on the earth, then there's really no helping you. You need to use your will to come out of that state of mind because it's, there is nothing else that can really be said about it except that it's complete nonsense. It needs to be thoroughly renounced and rejected. There is such a thing as truth. It is that which is. If you want to get real scientific and technical about it, how I refer to the truth is it is the wave functions that, that are spoken of in quantum mechanics, the waves of possibility, okay, all the possibilities that existed in what we know of as the past, that have coalesced, that have condensed, that have collapsed, and become actual events in the now, in the present moment. That's what the truth is. It's that which has actually already occurred, that which has undergone the formality of actually taking place and occurring in the world. I believe that's how... Uh, Alfred North Whitehead described what he termed the truth. Okay? It is that which has undergone the formality of actually taking place. It's, it's not up for debate. It's that which is. It already occurred. It happened. It happened. Now, whether we discover truth is a whole different story. But it exists and that's the first, the first and only, what I describe as the first and only prerequisite leap of faith that must be taken on the entire spiritual journey. And there is no other belief or faith that is required after that initial leap of faith to believe that there is such a thing as truth because at first you don't know that there is such a thing as truth you do have to have some form of belief that truth exists to go seeking it you don't have it at first okay? a truth seeker doesn't actually already have the truth otherwise you wouldn't be seeking it so that's what solipsism is okay? somebody who believes there's no such thing as truth and doesn't really ever begin the spiritual journey. Uh, in darker occultic orders and movements, this state of consciousness, and I know this from first-hand experience, is referred to in different ways. Dark occultists who are actively mind using techniques of mind control upon the general population of this planet, call, they have a name for people who have bought the biggest lie. They have a name for them. They have several names for them, actually. But 
there is one overarching name that they give to people who subscribe to this ideology. They call them the dead. The dead. Imagine this. There are people out there who refer to living people because of how completely off the mark they are about the nature of the reality in which they live. They call them the dead. And they have another name for the solipsist, the person who thinks they're the arbiter of truth in the world, that truth doesn't really exist. We get to make it up. Our perceptions are what the truth is all about. It's nothing that exists independently of us that we need to discover, but we get to make it up. We're the personal arbiters of our own truth. Okay? It's not something that is objective. It is something that is subjective. I get to decide what's truth based upon whether I like it or not, how I feel about it. Okay? That's what solipsism generally is. And the other name that dark occultists, people who have developed technologies and methodologies to mind control whole populations, the other name that they have for people that subscribe to the philosophy of solipsism is the unbegun, the unbegun, or the uninitiated, or in other words, those who have not begun. Because subscribing to solipsism means you have not begun the spiritual journey toward truth. And dark occultists want people in that state of consciousness. They want them there. And they have a lot of them there. Okay? So I want to talk about now the ideologies that solipsism leads to. The ideologies that accepting the biggest lie leads to in life and in the world. Okay? Well, if there is no such thing as truth, most solipsists believe that there is no such thing as God. So atheism goes hand in hand with the ideology of solipsism. Some would say atheism is the root of solipsism and solipsistic beliefs, and some would say atheism flows out of solipsism the idea that there is no truth. Therefore, there is no God. Or, vice versa, there is no God, therefore there is no truth. Okay? Solipsism is the idea that I get to determine, based on my personal preferences, what truth is. Therefore, it leads, inextricably leads, invariably leads, unwaveringly leads to an ideology known as moral relativism. Moral relativism. Solipsism leads to moral relativism. This is the notion that there is no such thing 
as objective right and wrong. No such thing. Since there is no truth, no objective truth, a solipsist claims, there is no such thing as objective morality. No such thing as objective morality, because after all, I get to determine what truth is, I also get to determine what morals are. What is moral, what is not moral. It's based on my personal preferences. What's good for me is good. What's bad for me is bad. It doesn't matter how it affects anybody else. I get to make it up. After all, there's no truth. After all, there's no God, so there's no such thing as natural law consequences for our actions and behaviors, right? So that's moral relativism. There's no such thing as objective morality. Morality is completely subjective and based, once again, in the perceptions of the beholder. This is complete and utter nonsense. Nonsense. Of course there is such a thing as moral right and moral wrong. This is why we have so many people taking all the immoral actions that they're taking in the world, stomping completely crazed on other people's natural human rights, as if it doesn't matter what they do to them as long as a paycheck is flowing in, as long as they can transfer the responsibility to someone else, a commanding officer or a politician or a banker or anyone who signs their paycheck. Okay? This, this, this ideology of solipsism invariably, when one subscribes to it, leads to moral relativism. And when you get moral relativism, other interesting things start to crop up. Once you have that, that's the beginning of the slide down into 100% total tyranny. Okay, because if there's no such thing as right or wrong, nothing anybody really does to anybody else matters. So you get ideologies like social Darwinism, the idea that the evolution of the species is determined by the best socially prepared to deal with anything that may be occurring in the culture. So a higher strata or class of society has the right to rule over, conquer, and even, and even kill and destroy lower classes below it. Social Darwinism. You get things like eugenics. Eugenics. Killing people based on your assessment of their breeding worth and their gene pool worth, like we saw during the Third Reich in Nazi Germany and other uh, oppressive police state regimes throughout the world. And invariably it leads to totalitarianism and total tyranny. And we're going to get into that more. We'll unpack all of these ideas and concepts as this show progresses. But I'm going to leave it off there for now. I think that's given people a lot of things to think about. I'm glad we had some callers this hour. Please uh, um, come out to these events that are planned in Philly that I mentioned earlier. And um, I'll see you guys next week right here on What on Earth is Happening. I'm Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. 
The uh, network is revolutionbroadcasting.com. I'm signing off. I'll catch you guys right here next week.